You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Well, as you might be able to tell from the sound of my voice, I'm in no physical condition to be up here. So this is going to be very short and very to the point, and that will be my Christmas gift to you. Because a short sermon might be the best Christmas gift that some of you will receive, and I I know that's certainly the case for my kids. If you have uh, your Bibles, please turn in them to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. We're going to be looking tonight at verses 26 through verse 38. And you say, that sounds like an oxymoron. Jim's promised 12 verses and something short. And it will be both. It will be 12 verses and something short. Let's bow together as we begin. Our Father, we thank You for the joy that it is to celebrate the birth of Christ, the Word made flesh. We thank You that the eternal, everlasting Creator of all things took upon Himself human flesh and came here to dwell among us and to die on a cross for our sins. We thank You for the fact that we can enjoy that reality, that we can be blessed by it, that we can receive it, that we can be graced by it. We thank You for Christ, who is our Lord, who is our King, who is our great God and our Savior. And we rejoice in Him tonight and ask for Your blessing upon this time in Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you were given the task of trying to select the perfect woman to be the birth uh, the birth mother of the Messiah, if you were told to interview a bunch of ladies and come up with some qualifications that you would look for in order to um, select the perfect woman to bring the Messiah into the world, your list of qualifications would probably be much different than God's list of qualifications, at least at first. And so I sat down this afternoon and I was thinking through what would I be looking for in the mother mother of the Messiah? And I would probably be looking for something like some sort of a royal recognizability. If you're going to bring the king into the world, you would want somebody who is at least closely attached to the throne of David or at least closely attached to royalty. You might want somebody who is uh, living in Jerusalem, who was uh, close to the Davidic line, close to a king, some sort of royal connection, some sort of royal recognizability. But Mary didn't have any of that. Or you might say, well, I would look for somebody who was married with some experience. Wouldn't you want somebody married with experience? If I were selecting, which we have, godparents for our kids, we would want somebody who is married and has been married for a while and somebody who's sort of had experience as a married couple. And that way you're not bringing the, the Christ child into the world and turning him over to some novice couple that hasn't even worked out the kinks in the relationship yet. But Mary wasn't married, and Mary didn't have any experience, or you might hope for at least an experienced mother. Because as parents, we make all of our mistakes with the first few kids, and it's not until we have a bunch of kids and we've run out of answers that we stop making all of the mistakes. Before we have kids, we have no kids and all the answers, and then once we have kids, we have kids and no answers, and we make mistakes with the first kids, and so you might select a woman who had a a brood of kids, maybe eight or ten or twelve, to sort of practice with, and get the hang of it and figure out how this is supposed to work. Mary didn't have any of that. Or you might select somebody who was older and wiser and a little bit more experienced just in life in general. 
But Mary was just a teenager. But what did God look for and what did God see in Mary that made him select her? Because certainly the selection of the mother of Jesus is another example that God's ways are not our ways. If we were to do something, we would look for somebody who was older, experienced, had kids, had it all together, maybe somebody who had some financial means. I mean, if you're going to turn the Christ child over to a a young couple, you might even want a young couple that had some money to ensure the, the best and the greatest education, the best and the greatest upbringing, and all that life could offer, and the comforts and conveniences, and yet Mary had none of that either. But what did Mary have? Mary had three qualities that God saw in her that made her uniquely qualified to be the mother of the Messiah. And we see those qualities come out in this passage, Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Mary was humble, number one. Mary was believing, number two. And Mary was obedient. Humble, believing, and obedient. I want you to see her humility, verse 26. It was in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Not to Jerusalem, not to where you might think royalty would be born, but to Nazareth, an obscure, no-name, off-the-map, insignificant city in which no king or prophet had ever been born or come from, Nazareth. Verse 27, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. So she was a descendant of David, though she was not even closely related to the throne, not even closely related to royalty. She lived out in Nazareth. So she was a descendant of David, but a lot of people were descendants of David. She's an obscure descendant of David. She's not married. She's a virgin. She's betrothed to a husband. Verse 28. And coming in, he, that is the angel, said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. She was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. The thing that the angel says to her that perplexes Mary is, Mary, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. And he says to her, Greetings, Favored one. That means full of grace. Uh, A lot of times Roman Catholics use the phrase uh, Mary full of grace. And by that they simply mean Mary as a dispenser of grace. But this is the phrase that's used to describe believers, people who are dependent upon divine grace and who have received divine grace, not people who dispense divine grace. So when the angel calls her Mary, the one who has received God's favor, it perplexes her because in her mind, She is the last woman on the face of the earth who deserves such a greeting as one who should be favored by God. And you even see that humility down in verse 38 where Mary says, Behold the bondslave of the Lord. That's how she viewed herself as a bondservant, a slave, the lowliest of lowly servants, the lowliest of lowly slaves. She says in verse 30, sorry, 46, My soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. He has had regard for the humble state of his bondslave. She was a very humble young woman. She didn't think of herself as a descendant of David. She didn't think of herself as uniquely qualified to be the mother of the Messiah. She was a very humble young woman. Second, Mary was believing. Look what the angel says to her next in chapter 1, verse 31. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And now, what I think is the most amazing statement that the angel makes to her, verse 32 He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. That is an amazing promise. Mary, Mary, who is in Nazareth, not Jerusalem, far removed from the Davidic line, the Davidic throne, 
the last person on earth you would expect to be attached to royalty is just told that the son that she is about to bear would be a king and God would give to him the throne of his father David and he would rule and reign over the house of Jacob and his kingdom would have no end. And what does Mary say to that? Verse 34, she said to the angel, how can this be? I'm a virgin. Ah, I would have said, how can this be? I don't even know anybody who's of royal estate. How can this be? I'm not even near Jerusalem. Who's going to give him this throne? How is he going to get the throne? This is unbelievable. And all she's, she believes what the angel says to her about her son being the king and reigning over the house of Jacob. That doesn't cause her any perplexing at all. What perplexes her is she simply says, how can this be since I'm a virgin? She's not doubting what the angel says because the angel doesn't reprove her like he does Zacharias early when Zacharias doubted what the angel said. Mary just simply says, how's this going to happen? She doesn't doubt for one moment that it's going to happen. Why is it that she did not question what the angel said to her regarding God giving Christ the throne of his father David and him ruling over the house of Jacob forever? Why didn't she doubt that? Because that's what the Old Testament prophets predicted. It's what the Old Testament prophets promised. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, we saw that here on Sunday. That was what Isaiah promised. Zechariah 9, verse 9, Micah 5, verse 2. All the Old Testament prophecies and predictions concerning the coming Christ said he would be a king and that he would rule and reign over the house of his father David, over David as David's descendant, on the throne of David, over the house of Israel, and his kingdom would have no end. And Mary believed all that the Old Testament prophets spoke. Mary believed all that the Old Testament prophets said. She didn't doubt it for one minute. She didn't say we need to understand that in some figurative or allegorical, metaphorical or spiritual symbolic sense. Mary just simply believed what the prophets said. And when the angel said, you're going to bear that child, she said, tell me how this is going to happen because I'm a virgin. I don't understand how this can come to pass. But she believed the word of God. The third quality that Mary had, not only humility and believing, but she was obedient. Look at verse 38 where Mary, in response to all that the angel says, behold the bondservant of the Lord. She simply presents herself to the angel says, I'm the Lord's slave. Here I am. Here I am, Lord. Send me whatever it is that you need to do and whatever it is that you want to do, I'm willing to do it. And Mary was willing to be the vehicle through which the Messiah would come, even though now she knew that that one that would be born in her would be conceived by the Holy Spirit apart from the agency of man. She would remain a virgin. She would bear a child and she would bear a child outside of wedlock. And for Mary in that culture, it meant all of the social stigma that went with it. It's a, it was a good day long ago when we had shame attached to things like that, being pregnant outside of wedlock. That common grace of shame has been removed, and we don't think anything of it. Back in that day, it was still a very shameful thing. And Mary knew and Mary understood she was going to have to live with that shame her whole life. And that stigma would constantly be attached to her and to her child. And everybody would say of Christ, you're a bastard child. You have no father. And they say in John chapter 8, I think it is, we know who our father is, but you don't know who your father is. And that stigma was constantly attached to her. And she was willing to deal with that. She was willing to live with that. She was willing to live with the sort of glances out the side and sort of the talk under the, under the breath and behind the curtain. Oh yeah, that's Mary. Remember Mary? Yeah, virgin birth. Remember that? Yeah, oh yeah. She was willing to live with all of that because she was obedient. Mary was humble. Mary was believing. And Mary was obedient. And friends, those same three qualifications are the qualifications that God looks looks for in us and requires in us in order to be saved. 
God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And God wants us to humble ourselves and get downwind of ourselves so that we can smell the stench of our own sin and our own wickedness and realize that we are lawbreakers, that we are sinners, that we deserve God's wrath, and that if God were to cast all of us into hell right now, it would be the just thing for him to do because we have sinned and we have violated his law. We are liars, we are thieves, we are blasphemers, we are adulterers at heart. We have violated all of the Ten Commandments and we are idolaters. And the justice of God requires that sin be punished. And until you and I get downwind from ourselves and we recognize how wicked we are, and until we humble ourselves and get rid of our own self-righteousness and declare spiritual bankruptcy and realize that we are not righteous, that we cannot stand in the presence of a righteous and holy God on our own merits, until we realize all of that, we will not be humble. God requires humility. And we have to humble ourselves and say, you know what? You're right, God. I am a sinner and I deserve your everlasting wrath. And I have sinned and I have violated all of your commandments. And I am wretched. I am horrible. I am unrighteous. I am foul. And I am a stench in your nostrils. That's humility. Second, we must be believing. That is to say that you and I must take God at his word and realize that God in his word has said that when we humble ourselves and we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, he will grant to us eternal life. He forgives our sins. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He grants to us a new nature, a new heart, a new standing, and he justifies and declares us righteous in his sight. Because Christ took all of my sin on himself, and he has given me all of his righteousness in return. So we have to be humble, we have to be believing, and we have to be obedient. That is to say, we have to obey the gospel and the commands of the gospel. The gospel is not an invitation to be accepted. It's not God saying, oh, I have a U-shaped hole in my heart. If you will only come to me, you'll make me so happy. It is us saying we deserve wrath and we must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ or we will perish on the day of wrath. So we must be humble, we must be believing, and we must obey the gospel. And the command of the gospel is repent, turn from your sin, and plead for mercy from God the Father through Jesus Christ his Son. And if you do not humble yourself, And if you do not turn from your sin, and if you do not believe on Jesus Christ and repent of your sin, my friend, I'm here to tell you, you will perish on the day of wrath. That's the bad news. The good news is that God has sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. God's desire was that you be saved. And he offers you clemency. He offers you forgiveness. He offers you a acquittal on the day of judgment because Jesus Christ took your punishment on the cross. That's why he came as a child. That's why he was born of a virgin, so that he could be pure, so that he could live a sinless life, and he did. And he lived a sinless life, and he died in our place. He lived a sinless life in my place, and he died in my place. And God offers you forgiveness of your sins through that Christ child. That is the greatest message that you could possibly hear. That God is a just God, and he will punish sin. But listen, God is a forgiving God, He's a gracious God. He's a good God. He's a loving God. He's a kind God. And he has sent his son into the world so that you could be saved by believing and trusting in him. That's why Christ came. That's what Christmas is all about. And that is why we celebrate. Let's pray together. Our Father, it is such a joy to be able to worship you and to proclaim the gospel. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins, which is ours in Jesus Christ. We thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you look for humility and that you look for repentance, you look for believing and you look for faith.
Thank you also that those are gifts that you grant to your people. We thank you that you have provided such a means of salvation, so free, so wonderful, so gracious, and so kind of you. We thank you, God, that salvation is not dependent upon our works because we could never earn your grace, nor could we ever earn your forgiveness. But we thank you that you grant it to us on the basis of faith. And Father, may there be no person in this room here tonight who is gathered here who might go to bed this night without knowing the Savior, Jesus Christ, as their own Savior. And may you be pleased to draw men and women to yourself for your glory's sake and for the goodness of your sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.